up, everybody? This is Volume 71 of the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. Welcome back. How are you guys doing out there? Hope you guys have been enjoying this little swell we've had in Southern California. I know everybody's been scoring kind of all over the country. It's been kind of fun. Summer's dying out. It's officially the fall. And uh, I know for us in Southern California, this is when we start getting some more of that hurricane swell uh, coming up the coast. So we're pretty stoked on that. Pretty excited about that. Uh, But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 71. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have product, we have um, podcast listings, we have videos that we're working on or that we've been releasing. Uh, Also, make sure to check out the full description of this episode on your iTunes or whatever player you're listening to. And um, yeah, so this... uh, This episode is um, dedicated to a close friend of mine who passed away recently in the last couple of weeks, uh, Mr. Keith Huffnagel. And a lot of people know about him through skateboarding and stuff. And Keith is, uh, was, it's so hard to even say that now, um, one of my oldest friends. You know, we became friends in 1987, freshman orientation, Xavier High School, New York City and were one of the only skaters in the school. Uh, Instantly became friends, hung out, skated, uh, in and out of each other's lives for years and years. And he had a huge impact on me, um, as he did a lot of people. And, you know, one of the things that was so special about moving to California was that I get to have a renewed relationship with him and his family. And there was nothing more amazing than having his kids and my kid and uh, Retta's kid play together and get to know each other and kind of it become full circle you know we were a bunch of kids that grew up in New York City when skating wasn't anything you know and it was the thing that bound us and made us a family and Keith was a big part of that and anyone who's seen any of the stuff going around um, about him knows that he touched and he helped a lot of people out and that's really the legacy he leaves behind and this isn't meant to be some huge eulogy and i've done that on my own i've done it with my friends and i'm kind of private about this relationship a lot of times and my relationships in general but keith is someone that if it wasn't for him i would not be where i am today in so many ways both in surfing as a person artistically you know and he's I'm really gonna miss him and I'm really gonna miss our lunches together you know I'm fortunate enough to have been able to spend time with him um, over the last couple of months before his passing driving up to his house having lunch and that kind of stuff and he always had the same laugh and the same personality and was always there to help and I remember you know, the last couple of weeks, him even giving me some advice on some stuff I'm working on. And um, it's going to be really hard not having that anymore. And um, not having someone who I just deeply love and I always love. And yeah, so this episode is dedicated to Mr. Keith Huffnagel. Rest in peace. I love you. And uh, thanks for telling me to go to the North Shore. Um, almost uh, seven years ago where I got the surfing bug and I am here today because of that and uh, for always supporting me and uh, being the person that 
I craved acceptance from and you always gave it to me and I'm going to miss that and that's it. But let's get into what this episode's about. The first thing that we're going to talk about uh, this week is we have an interview with Mr. Barrett Miller. Barrett Miller is a surfer, shaper, San Clemente, Sano local, awesome guy. I love him. I love his surfing board design. So we talk about growing up in San Clemente, surfing, shaping, that kind of thing. We're also going to talk about the uh, death of Surfer Magazine, or rather the closing down of Surfer Magazine. My opinion on it, uh, print media is print dead, is it not dead, and that kind of thing. Uh, Lastly, we have a couple of short takes. Uh, The first one is actually a piece of content that Surfer produced uh, with Devin Howard riding a really funky skip fry V-bottom. I love this video. The second short take is a video by our homie Ryan from LogRap called Warning featuring Kai and Veed which I really dig. And the last one is a video that was brought to my attention by Mr. Nikki Lee called Night Today from Andrew Law that features Nikki, Trent Phillips, Ian Schulte, a bunch of other people on the East Coast. So as we said, this episode's dedicated to Mr. Keith Huffnagel. So what I'm going to do musically is I'm gonna wrap this episode in a wrapper of music that was featured in a bunch of famous Parts. The first song, obviously, if you know his video parts, is from Penal Code. This was his standout part uh, early in his career that really put him on the map. Really showcased how he sur- uh, sorry, how he skated uh, in New York City as kids. Speed, pop, jumping over stuff. And he took it to the streets of San Francisco where a lot of people didn't think you could bring that to. And he showed how that same style can be there. So sit back, relax. Love you, Keith. I'll check in with you guys in a little bit. Peace.
This episode of the Bodega Border Crew podcast is sponsored by Himalaya Botanics Toothpaste. Look, I've been out there, I've tried tons of these natural toothpaste, and they never work, they never feel right, they never taste right. I don't even know what's in them or not in them. It's really confusing. And sometimes using natural toothpaste can feel like a trade-off. Sure, it's great to ditch the SLS and artificial flavors, but brushing with a natural toothpaste can feel flat and bland, leaving your mouth with an unclean feeling. I've tried many of them, and they either taste like baking soda or I feel they just don't work. Himalaya Botanique, our sponsor for today's episode, is a toothpaste that's free from fluoride, SLS, and artificial colors and flavors. But unlike other similar toothpaste, they don't compromise on flavor or performance. Himalaya toothpaste is always bursting with foam and flavor. Interested in trying it out for yourself? Get 20% off Himalaya Botanique toothpaste on Amazon with discount code 20BODEGA. That's 20BODEGA. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode's sponsorship with Himalaya Botanique and get your discount. Welcome back to Volume 71 of the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. Hope you guys dug the tracks, what I'm spinning here. Trying to get into it a little quicker than usual, but let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch. We have videos. We just dropped um, episode one of Jetty Blue 100s, Ladies First. I know it's been getting some press. You should check it out. It's listed there. Also, make sure to check out the episode description on your iTunes player for track listings and things that we're talking about. Now, this episode, we sat down and talked with none other than Mr. Barrett Miller. Barrett Miller is a surfer, skater, shaper, personality here in uh, San Clemente, uh, California. I love his surfing. I love what he's shaping. I love what he's all about. I think the future that he brings to surfing is really important. So without further ado, here's the interview, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So what's your name and where are you from? My name is Barrett Miller, and I'm from San Clemente, California. Born and raised? Yeah. Born and raised. Went to school here? Mm-hmm. Um, your family's here from here as well? Yeah, my well, my mom and mom's side of the family is more from LA and my oh, okay. dad and grandpa and my great grandpa were all well my great grandpa moved here from Utah actually back oh. in the mid thirties. Oh Jesus. Yeah. So they were like you have lineage here for like years and years, generations. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's kinda crazy. Um, how did you originally get into surfing? Um, just through being at the beach when I was younger and uh-huh. being with my family just down Sando and Doheny and my grandpa just thought it was a good idea that you go surf, you know. So your grandfather is the one who showed you, like got you into surfing when you were young? Yeah, I mean, I kind of like expressed the interest of surfing and he was just kind of the one to guide guide me through it and same with my sister too. Oh, so your sister as well? I mean, she doesn't surf as much as I do, but 
still got to surf when we were younger and stuff. She, she doesn't have the crazy bug like we all have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, thank, thank God. The, the evil disease. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like kind of like, it's just like never ending. Um, do you remember the first time your, um, you caught your first wave? Like, do you remember uh, that? I have like a pretty good memory of it and it was at Doheny, I think I caught my first wave. And I don't know if it was just whitewash, but it, it was just cr the craziest feeling, like feeling like you're almost like a bird or something, like hovering over, gliding over the top of the water, you know, uh -huh. like, it's just, it was unreal, you know? Do you think you were still trying to capture that feeling when you go and surf? Oh, for sure. <laughs> like, I think that's like the addictive person, the part of it, right? It's like you yeah. kind of, you always remember that, like what that felt like mm -hmm. that first and time. And so you're kind of like always trying to like duplicate that moment or like, get another moment that feels sort of similar to that feeling. And then it just gets better and better. And yeah, it just gets, <laughs> yeah. Um, who, who did you surf with when you like really started getting into surfing? Who were some of the people that you surfed with? Just all my friends that I went to school with and went to the beach with, and uh -huh. down at Santa and stuff. It's lucky, you know, there's a lot of really nice people and good longboarders and stuff. Cause that's like the newer, like you guys were like that kind of newer generation, right? Mm -hmm. And so who were some of those people? Um, I mean, it, I would say the older crowd, like there was a generation probably before us that was more into traditional longboarding uh -huh. and, and it kind of just would carry through. And there's always been a, a longboard scene in Santa, like it never even went away. It's just was like, you know, so shoved under the bush, it was like, not popular. Like no you know? lines to get in? <laughs> I Oh yeah, for sure. Like when I was younger, there was only lines like maybe on a Sunday, it was like a really nice day out. But now there's a line every freaking day. It's ridiculous. Like at least an hour now. Yeah. I, I mean, that's been kind of the turn off for me, like going there, like, I, like a day like today, like I knew how bad it was. And the whole reason I went is like, oh, there's no line. Like yeah. I'd rather go surf there, no line, and it'd be like shitty, like whatever and like try to get in on one of those crazy days. I think it's kind of insane. Cause there's like a whole, like, you know, this, like what I look at as the newer generation is like you and like Nick and Andy and like obviously Michaela and Haley and that, that kind of thing. And Hallie. Uh, Hallie. Sorry. And no, Sorry. it's fine. I always say her name wrong. Um, just because I have a niece that that's her name. Um, and do you notice their like, is it a conscious thing in terms of getting attention on yourselves, or did you just notice like people started paying attention? Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just, you just do. Your I thing. just just go to the beach and hang out. Like no, because it's crazy. Like I talked to a couple of people recently. Like I, I did an interview for like someone interviewed me for a podcast, and they were like, "Well, where do you, where would you tell someone to go to like learn how to longboard?" And like I always tell them like, "Go to San O, and don't longboard." Don't surf and just watch everyone who's there and you'll get the biggest fucking clinic of your life. Like you will just watch every single person who surfs and every one of you has a very unique style, but that's very appropriate to the wave. Like you guys know how to read those, those waves. Like it's like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, was there anybody who was like a conscious uh, influence on your style or did it just like naturally happen? I mean, obviously all the dudes of the past that ripping and you know a lot of them are from here my hometown and then uh like newer generation like jj and mm -hmm. andy and those are the 
two dudes that you know I really looked up to mm-hmm. growing up, like surfing, and they're incredible. I mean, the stuff they do on a board is just ridiculous. <laughs> no, it's kind of insane. I mean, that them two as two examples, I think, are really interesting because you're talking about kind of polar opposites in a way. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like like just like Andy is just like like just all over the place in a really good way. Like you don't yeah. know what the fuck is gonna happen. You can rip anything too, like literally yeah. like you give him a Carl's Jr. trail stamp <laughs> on it. What was that crazy board that he was riding that was like some ridiculously long pink board? Um, oh, a 14 foot flamingo shaped yeah. by Bob, Bob Howard. <laughs> what was that thing? Um, it was this crazy board and I, I actually have the template. I think it came off of like a Makaha gun. Oh, and is like, that what it was? Yeah. That's oh, right. it right there, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing, like, video of him, and I saw him bring it one time to the beach, and I was like, what? Like, how big is that board? It's, like, insane. And he was, like, controlling it like it was, like, nothing. Um, now, in terms of what we're talking about, like, surfboard design, obviously you shape and stuff like that. How did you first get into shaping? Um, just being curious, like, obviously that... I think that's probably how everyone gets into it, but um, the boards that I like to ride, you know, weren't as readily available as they are now, uh-huh. and I didn't have like the money to just go buy whatever board I wanted to ride, and like, you know, it's uh, it's helps growing up where I grew up to like have people to show you how to do things, but right. it's really unmotivating at the same time because there's so many good people. And like- Oh, so it, like you could, you could basically- And like, they don't, yeah, it's, you, you gotta really like work to, to get the knowledge handed down to you of the proper way, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, definitely lucky to grow up here to, to get that, but, um, like you started, like you started the very traditional way, in that like you were like working, like cleaning up and stuff like that in yeah, shape rooms, right? Just cleaning acetone, cleaning dust collectors, breaking the floor up, you know, sweeping Jesus. up, uh, repairing certain things, maybe, or you know, just everything that they wanted to do, pretty much. But I think that's that's important. I mean, it's it's funny because like in, you know, I equate it to like like I'm a, I'm a professional graphic designer. And so, like, when you start working in that field, at least the generation I came from, you know, you were jumping on Photoshop. Like, you were, like, putting stuff together. Like, you were doing all the grunt work, right? You were doing all the basic work. But all that basic work teaches you the foundation of all the stuff. So when you start developing your own style of creativity, you know how to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. How valuable do you think it's learning that way versus some people who, like, learn from, like, going on YouTube? Um, well, one thing YouTube's not going to teach you is the traditional way and aspect of it mm-hmm. um, you can learn things through videos and stuff and like I have too there's some great guys that teach stuff on on the internet about shaping and stuff you don't, don't know and it's like also you don't I think there's like a stigma that you have to like learn from some like one dude mm-hmm. but that's like bullshit you know yeah. like you should be learning from everyone like, yeah you know I mean you're not gonna you don't go to school and every class is taught by the same teacher right? yeah Exactly. Like someone's going to be better at like doing, let's say, rails, and someone's going to be better at contours, and someone's going to be better at like I mean, or like, like yeah, the certain steps. Like there's your laminators, your pin yeah. liners, glossers, hot coders, sanders, mm-hmm. fit box setters, mm-hmm. shapers, all the guys that 
aren't the shapers are some of the most knowledgeable actually like like a lot of the guys that are sh um, making the most money off their shapes now are just com just set up marketing wise really like more than you think more than skill wise it's oh yeah for 100 percent yeah like there is a, a quite a few good board builders all around but I can definitely say most of the guys selling the most boards uh -huh. are the ones that have the best marketing pretty much yeah like I mean, now also that people are buying boards like crazy because of COVID and like everyone's like surfing, they're like fucking, it's kind of nuts. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to JJ about it. Like he was talking about some of his friends who have shops and they're like, yeah, they're like, Shh, forget it. It's like off the shelf, like happening like crazy. Now, but I think also something to add in there yeah, is yeah. that I think there um, needs to be like, there should be some knowledge behind like the person you're getting the board from like you know you want you kind of you should know a little something about mm -hmm. it before you could just go buy one like there's a lot of dudes just scrubbing lines out there <laughs> no no i know well I, i've seen it so um and i won't say obviously and like could, yeah they've never worked a day in a factory or anything you know yeah. i mean i think it's important because that's how like the you know the donald school right like that's where it comes from like donald yeah. learned that way and donald pass that knowledge to other people as well like well, that's and, and yeah and all, all those guys now are kind of like have that same mindset as like what why should I teach you this like what you know there's a ton of people that would like to make surfboards out there but right. um, you know you just got to be willing to learn everything mm -hmm. to really if you if you want to have a good understanding of board design and I mean also just a lot of people it doesn't just come naturally for them to like see a wave and you can see how that board's gonna fit, you know, like. That's a hard skill. So. I mean, I think that's a gift. That's like, and I think that comes down to two. My guess would be, okay, and I'm not a good surfer, so I can't say this, but I would think it has to do with being a good surfer too. Like most of the best boards come from people who are the best surfers. Mm -hmm. You know, because like you said, they could look at that wave and be like. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Like they know in their head, you know, like I've seen some of the boards like, like that you you ride at like Sano and like they're perfect Sano boards, right? Like you know that like that wave so much. That yeah, like, I mean, I would some of my boards are more nose riders for sure, like mm -hmm. meant for Sano. But a lot of the boards I I, I make long boards, I'm more concerned about speed and trim overall and turning. Mm -hmm. But I mean, no, no, I wouldn't say that they're a typical nose rider board. What yeah. I'm saying is like you make the boards that like. Like, I remember one time, like, I was paddling out with you, and I had a board, and I'm not going to say what it was, and you were like, I can't believe you're riding this here. It's not going to even work. Like, it's just going to bog down. And then I looked at your board, and while it had a similar outline to mine, you know, which was that, but it was, like, definitely the contours of it are like, okay, this makes more sense here. Like, I'm a fucking moron. You know, like... I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, and you could try to make any board work anywhere, but there's a certain point that it doesn't. Well, yeah, especially when the Santa wave comes in at, like, it's pretty much flat. There's no curvature to the wave at all. No, you know? no, it's like, like, it's <laughs> I mean, I experienced it today. Um, what is your favorite part of making boards? Like if you had it, because there's so many steps, is there like, is it the whole process or is it like a specific thing that you're like, this is the thing I geek out on more than anything else? Definitely the whole process is keeping me the most happy right now. Like I've done certain things mm -hmm. for periods of time, just only that thing. Like. Mm -hmm with sanding or, you know, mm -hmm. shaping or glassing. It's done just those certain steps for a while, but it's like, I don't know. I think for me, like in the future of all of this, I, I'd like to just have 
be more of a start to finish board builder mm -hmm. and like still have be able to get my shapes out there somehow but I just think that's what keeps me stoked on it because I don't know the, the trial and the error like if you you, you got to learn how to fix your mistakes and all mm -hmm. that and um, it's I don't know it's what makes it a challenge and kind of fun mm -hmm. and I don't know there's not really other um, things out there where you can just fully build the whole thing I mean I'm not building the blank but no but it's a very unique thing that you could have a vision right and take this blank to water mm -hmm. right like that whole process like you're taking something you're cutting it out you're like mowing it down you're like adjusting stuff you know and then you're like sanding and getting that final and then like the, the glassing and like the whole thing I mean you are right like maybe guitar building maybe? yeah that's kind of what I was gonna say I mean guitar building is kind of like maybe the only other one I would know of I mean there's obviously some hot rod builders out there and all sorts of guys building cool stuff but, but it's not the same but it's not the same how there's no. like I guess um, you, you can go like ride a wave like you know there's no other thing out there that you can just go ride a wave like yeah I mean I yeah. guess guitars can ride no, sound waves no but jamming, I think guitars are kind of the most similar thing because yeah, for sure in a way you you're creating something that enables your creativity so it's like a board it's like everybody's gonna surf a board different differently you know and approach mm -hmm. a board differently so uh, a wave differently so it's you're creating this like paintbrush for someone right like from start to finish like yeah I, I think musical instruments especially guitars are the only thing now you're talking about like building from start to finish now obviously that hinders you in a sense of like how much of production you can do yeah so do you do you think it's possible to find I mean your dream is kind of to find a balance right where it's like you get oh, yeah, I mean, out that you're doing the whole process I, I think I'm on my way to finding that balance and it's you know a slow process mm -hmm. But um, like right now, I'm just mostly shaping and boards are being glassed at my buddy's shop down the street mm -hmm. and um, some of them down in San Diego too. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I just, I don't really see the need to do so many boards and just do like only a few really good ones. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to still be able to get, have the time to make my friends boards and stuff mm -hmm. and like do all that. And so, I'm not saying I'd go completely just start to finish all the boards, but ideally I'd like to be doing somewhere between, I don't know, five and ten a month start to finish, you know? I mean, that's ambitious for one person to be doing that. That's a lot. That's I, If you're doing the whole process, that is a lot. Yeah, but it's, I don't know, it keeps, like you, in a good it way. keeps you in tune with your tools and your craft, yeah, too, yeah. you know? Like, the guys that aren't doing that is, I mean... A lot of them are just shaping because they have the orders and stuff, and so and they've done they've done everything already. Mm -hmm. But um, they're still like working on their own boards. Like if they're making themselves a surfboard, they're yeah. gonna glass the whole thing and and do that. And then there's some guys that just only shape, and that's that. But yeah, that's... I don't know. It's, you can go many ways with, with this whole thing, but. I just find that's kind of what I want to do. There's not really many people left that you can go to have like a one-on-one -on -one relationship, mm -hmm. know what you're getting, like know what's like meant for you and not like half custom, yeah. I like to say. Like, like, like it's a model that they just kind of like, okay, I'm yeah. going to make it thicker for this person or like I'm going to make it Yeah, or like, exactly, yeah. I mean, everyone kind of does that, you know? Mm -hmm. I just, 
and I'll probably do have models too, but it's like, I don't know. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, do you, when you, let's say when someone, when someone wants a board, right? Like, let's say if like I came to you and I was like, I want a long board to serve church. Mm -hmm. Do you, is it something that you have like in your mind, like quote unquote, a model that you start from, or is it something that you start from scratch in a way? Um, it just depends what the person's looking for. Like if it's, if a lot of the time they'll come and inquire about a board and they know exactly what they want, like they want that specific shape mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's like a picture on my profile mm -hmm. and I'll be able to shape that board pretty easily but like then I get orders too where you know it's a little more involved and they want this and that and like mm -hmm. I don't know, it's, it's kind of every all over the place. But so like, it's like obviously like the boards person. that like I have a set kind of model for it's a lot easier to get done for me and, and like shape it out than something that's a full custom board you know mm -hmm. and no I mean that makes sense I mean it's just like you're, you're pointing to some things that are kind of interesting like there are a lot of shapers out there who are basically they'll have like five to like eight stock kind of things and then yeah. like people come to them and they're like they're pretty much all they're doing is like okay i'm just gonna make a wider version of this we're gonna make a thinner version yeah of and, and I, I think it's it needs to be more like i don't know i shouldn't say it people can do whatever they want yeah but in my eyes what i want to do is just make a few really good ones but that's what you love to do those, you know like i don't yeah. need to there's no need to compete with everyone else like no, I think everyone yeah. has their has their own niche. I think it's yeah. like having people like you that build these a hundred percent like custom to the person and to the wave and what they want to do, like where they want to take their surfing. I mean, I think that's like important. You know, you need. I think you need to have it all, right? Like, I think you also you need to have the people who are like. There's people, for instance, who buy boards from like one person because they're like, I wrote that model. That model works for me. They just get a newer one every like two years or every year, like mm -hmm. when theirs gets dinged up. I mean. I'm sort of, I've done that a couple of times where I've been like, I like this shape, blah, blah, blah. Let me just get a new one. Like I put an order in kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, but then there's also like people like you who understand who could talk to the, have that one-on-one -on -one relationship and be like, okay, what do you want to do in your surfing? What are you writing now? What's like the, like what you want to do? And then you interpret that and like create them. like. Yeah. And I, and that whole aspect of it is what makes me the most happy is especially when it's a surfer that's like, I think like worth the time put in to make it custom, you know, mm -hmm. like that, and like really talk about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I talk about all the boards with everyone, like I spend, I'm not someone who just willy-nillies and just like wants to get the board done, I like want to know exactly what you want, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's nice when um, a friend or someone who's a good surfer, or like anyone who hits me up for a board and they they kind of want to go and do something outside of the box or just kind of have an idea for something mm -hmm. and I, maybe i haven't done it yet or something oh yeah but i don't know that's that makes it exciting too because it's just um no, it's different. I mean, it doesn't keep, you're not bored, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, if you were doing the same, if you were doing the same four boards all the time, like, you'd be like, this is fucking Yeah, I don't annoying. understand how people do that. Like, some of these guys' brands, it's like, they're doing, like, 30 freaking boards, and they're all the same, like, clear sand finish. Like, yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, color is whatever, too, but it's like, I, I appreciate a good color job, and a lot of people do, but, mm -hmm. um, 
it's just yeah there's so, i mean there's guys doing it like that too like high high quality mm-hmm. quote unquote you could yeah, say yeah, yeah. like uh <laughs> like kind of bullshit like yeah like yeah. just pumping them out putting co- nice color jobs on them mm-hmm. getting them sold but i don't know like the end of the of the day like i think what you said earlier about like the, the good surfers are usually the ones making the best boards mm-hmm. and like i mean for me the guys that are like that is like i don't know timmy patterson brian birch our buddy nick mm-hmm. i mean those are a few right there that yeah and you know, all like you all you guys skip can... fry donald takiyama i mean yeah like, but then you also here's the other and someone you have a relationship with the shaping boards for too is like you have someone like joel who doesn't himself shape but he knows who to get to shape him the boards he wants and he knows a lot about board design too which yeah. is crazy like i don't know I, i've never met someone who like doesn't really shape but knows so much about board design mm-hmm. like he does shape a few boards here and there but it's and he definitely takes his time to do them mm-hmm. do them nice and but it's uh it's crazy like actually because i don't know it helps me out a lot like he's shown me things like oh you're you're wondering why like you're doing that on that wave like why it's not working for you mm-hmm. this is what you're doing wrong like just yeah and it totally works and like well he's the sensei thank right? him for that big time you know fucking uh, fucking yoda of fucking longboarding yeah <laughs> <laughs> like straight up has the, the the wisest advice you made him the board that he won the noosa contest on right yeah yeah how did that like he was just like was like oh make me um yeah he i he hit me up like a couple weeks before and said he needed a board and i, I already was he was riding one of my long boards oh he was to that yeah and uh i think he sold it and needed a new one or something uh-huh. and and so i had to make the whole thing in like a week or something uh-huh. and drop dropped it off and jesus he wrote it once here and was like oh yeah this one going to Australia <laughs> tomorrow. All right. Yeah, I was stoked when I like found out like that was your board and like he, first of all that he won because it makes someone who's like the same age as him like kind of feel good. I mean, I think that's why like like older surfers are attracted to Kelly Slater. Like Joel's kind of that like oh well he did it like I'm the same age. But like knowing it was your board, I was like I thought it was really cool. Um, and he's definitely a demanding person um, with all his competitive stuff. Um, speaking of the competitive side of surfing. Did you do like the coalition contests when you were younger? Or? Yeah, I, I did quite a few of those growing up. I mean, and which uh, club did you surf for? Surf for Doheny, and uh-huh. then now since I don't like paying the annual dues, I surf for Hope Ranch. <laughs> <laughs> and I do the one Malibu contest or two Malibu contests uh-huh. a year. And do you? What do you? What's the general vibe versus those versus like let's say like the Malibu contest versus like some of the other contests you've done? Well. First, you're surfing a world-class spot with nobody out. Like, it's, is that the whole reason to do it? Then is that like for me? <laughs> that's, that's why I do. Because I've heard this story from a lot of you people. You make a couple heats and it's so worth it. There's four or five other dudes in the water. You no know, one's like, taking you. Yeah, no one's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I couldn't imagine like having a set wave at Malibu by yourself. I don't think it happens. I think it's like kind of a myth. I mean, it happens every once in a while, but like it has to be a wave. Or like, lowers or something like that. Yeah. You know, like I've heard that all those waves are like you know, there's 
million people there all the time. Yeah, I've heard that from so many people who do competitive, like even like shortboarding. They're like, look, the, the whole reason you do it is so you can surf this one wave and get like two or three good yeah. waves by yourself. That when it's good and pumping, like you know, and like yeah. you walk away and you're like, I didn't, I didn't make it past my heat, but you know what? I got three really good waves that I'll remember the rest of my life. Yeah, and if you make it through a heat or two, you're stoked. <laughs> keep, you, you know, keep getting them. You know, and then. You get to, if you make it out or you mm -hmm. get out or whatever, mm -hmm. then you just get to enjoy watching your buddies surf and that's, you know. Which is always fun. Yeah, it's fun. Have you ever done any of the other contests? Like, did you ever do the hot dog or any of those? I did that one year and I missed like the most firing Newport points well ever. And I'll oh, never yeah, forget you that. <laughs> oh yeah, you were there that year that like everybody was kind of leaving on purpose. Like they were like, fuck it, I don't want to even, like, like, yeah. like people were like, look at it, look at it. Like, look I actually it. got sick the night before and I was like. Oh. I was like, oh, oh. you guys blew it. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that year, because that was a year that, like, like everybody was kind of, like, just dropping out. Like, was just like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm leaving. They're like, no, you made your heat. Like, no, yeah, I'm I think good. I left, like, the day two. <laughs> yeah, so like, over it. Like, I, Levi was, like, on my quote-unquote, like, my, my little team I had. And he was like, I was like, why didn't you make it through your heat? He's like, oh, I'm going back home to go surf. Yeah, it was <laughs> He was like, crazy. We're, we're trying to get there. Um but I think it's important because the one thing for me is, like, it brings a lot of these people together, right? Like, you guys get to kind of, like, obviously living here where you live and surfing Sano, there's already, like, a crew and there's a click. And there's people who come from both north and south. But it seems like these coalition contests, what's nice is you get people who come from, like, Santa Cruz. And they come from all these yeah, different places. Yeah, Hawaii, too. Like, yeah. It's great. Like, it brings people together. East Coast. Mm -hmm. Some great East Coast loggers. Yeah, we need and, to get a lot of It's cool because I've got to meet a lot of people that way, you uh -huh. know, and I still get to, I see them, and even if I don't, it's not during the contest, I still hang out with them when they're out here, or, mm -hmm. you know, we're somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's great. No, I mean, I think that's like kind of like what Joel has tried to do with the, with the duct tape that I think is really good is like he tries to mix up the people yeah. um, in it. Hopefully next year, start that up again. Um, where do you see the future of your surfing going? Um, same as it is now, just keep having fun and mm -hmm. going. And, I mean, hopefully traveling more, that's what I want, really want to be doing. Mm -hmm. It's like going and surfing waves that no one else are sur is surfing and like, maybe hopefully finding a new wave someday. I love, no, I, I think love there to are that. There. Like, there has to be out there. Yeah. What's your favorite place you've ever gone? Um, I mean, I'm not the most well-traveled person. Like, I'm know, definitely lucky to have gone the place I've gone, but yeah. um, I went to mainland a couple times and really liked it there. Just, like, all the ways around there, you can score, like, not that many people out. And But Hawaii is always, always nice, and it's just easy to get over there. And yeah. Like, you know, I, I have some friends there. Convenient. Yeah. Good waves. Yeah, and, you know... There's locals and stuff, but hey, at least they know how to surf. <laughs> like, yeah, I you know what the whole thing is with the Hawaii localism because someone taught me how to deal with it. I've never had I've I've seriously been going there like eight years. I've never gotten vibe. Like I've yeah. never like it's a matter of just showing respect. It's, yeah, just give respect, get respect. Yeah. Like simple easy. as that, you know. Easy rules. Yeah, that should work everywhere. Exactly. Except I think, LA. I think there's a, yeah, <laughs> LA and. Orange County, it's yeah, like yeah. freaking it's, out the, or San Diego too, it's like out the window. No, it's like that doesn't exist. That was yeah. the thing, like when, I remember one of the times I was surfing there, we were su surfing Freddy's, and like my friend that I was surfing with who's from there, he's like, oh man, he's like, I'm so sorry, it's like so crowded. And there were like 10 people out, I was like, yo homie, 
this is chill. Like, we are so chill. Like, you don't even understand. Like, that's why when they talk about the localism, like, yeah, they talk about that North Shore shit. Like, a lot of people do well, get... Well, it was gnarlier back, of back course in the it day, was. but there was a, you know, a big battle between, mm-hmm. between the guys, you know? And it's just... Well, they also hate Brazilians more than white people now, so that helps. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I don't feel like yeah, that. Probably. That's what someone who's from there told me is like, oh, you know really? what? He's like, he's like, we hate the Brazilians more than we hate you, so we don't mind you serving with that. So we're like, like all right. One cool. thing too is like, I, I'd always get them mixed up because they have, you know, they're similar, similar looking, I guess. I'm yeah, not, yeah, I'm yeah. Yeah, yeah. Profiling in any way. No, but they're, they're but, shooting. You know, it's like they're all battling the peak and they're, they're like, you have the local Hawaiians who definitely have the rights for the waves, yeah. and then you have. Brazilians too, who, you know, kind of look similar to them, and and yeah. they think they own everything. Oh, forget it. It's, it's like, like, dude, like no, and no, 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 no. <laughs> we have that same problem here in San Clemente, big time. So yeah, because they're all like a lot of them like live down here. I know yeah, it's lo- like local tourists is what what we like to call. Is that what you call <laughs> local tourists? I just remember when my friend told me that whole thing where he was like, "We hate them more than we hate you." I was like. Oh, is that why people are nice to us? He's like, oh, yeah, like, you guys are chill. Like, yeah. And I was like, awesome. I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, good good place to be. Uh, uh, you're trying to go You're trying to go there, obviously, like, soon, which is kind of kind of dope. I, 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 miss, I miss the fact that this year I'm not going to go. Um, I'll wrap this up with a couple of uh, basic questions. Uh, and this has to touch with travel. Out of all the places you've surfed in the world, where is your favorite break? And why? Mm. Like, if you could right now, like right now today, and it's the perfect conditions at a break, where would you want to go to and why? It's a really hard one. I've said one before, but I don't know if that is the one. But probably just, yeah, Pipeline, just because it's so Pipe. crowded, you know? So, like, in perfect uh, Yeah, it's like. The fact that you never, you won't ever get it in your life with no one out in perfect conditions. No. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, maybe like 50 years ago, but... Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. It's, it's 2020. You're now, lucky so it's... if you get it with less than 20 guys on it. <laughs> like, I, was, I was there, like, I think it was last year was one of the days we were there. When it was like one of, the, one of those days, like, where you just like, and you're just watching it. And it's like, there was like... I mean, it was a ridiculous amount of people fighting over this fucking peak. And I was like, this is a fucking scary wave. And like to see that many people fighting, like acting like it was if it was like church, like in terms of like how not intimidating it was. I was like, this is fucking crazy. Like this is the craziest shit I saw. I mean, and and they're all like battling the peak on the first reef, which is super gnarly. And I'm just like, that's deadly to me. Like, Like at least when it's a little, little bigger, there's some more water moving. Yeah. So it's a little easier to get comfortable somewhat, but then there's like you also gotta realize that the it's just breaking out further and yeah. it's like even more scary sometimes. But no, I've said with that the day, fact that like on the smaller on the smaller days it's like so sketchy, like the reef's so shallow and like the you're oh. you have a big chance to get hurt on those big small days when it's really crowded. It's so gnarly. I mean the, that last year that one day I have pictures of it and I'll show you. I'm like. Jordy Smith, like that whole kind of crew was there, and they're just like fucking stand up barrel catching. Like they're and, just standing and they all, up. Like, and like, everyone like chips in under the lip, which is radical and sick. But it's like I don't know. I, I kind of want to be able to move around a little bit before I think about pulling into a barrel. Like 
Yeah, flow a little bit. You know, like <laughs> see, backdoor looks like kind of fun to me more than like the, the the other the real like pipeline, if you will. Like backdoor, like I'm like it kind of looks fun. Like I I wouldn't be too freaked out. It's de- I I like that way more just because I have it front side, but it, yeah, it's definitely a lot shallower on the takeoff. Is it? Yeah. I never even knew that. It just looks more maybe because it's front side for me. It's like more and accessible. The, in, the inside too is like pretty sharp and crazy, but. Dude, that's like, like, I, I know, like, so, all those spots, like, the really good ones, that's why they're good, is because of the shallow reef that the open ocean's hitting. Like, that's why it peaks it up. Like, you talk about the point at sunset, the actual point, not the bowl. Yeah. Like, when you're sitting on your board, and you put your feet down, and you fucking touch the reef. Like, that's some fucking scary shit, and there's, like, seven to, like, ten foot sets coming in, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, and you're paddling back out, and just getting worked, like, <laughs> trying to figure out what way to go. Yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> Dude, last time I surfed it, or one of the last times, was was with uh, Max and Tosh, mm-hmm. and my leash fucking broke. And then, like, I was basically just, like, I tied my leash again and tried to surf it, and my fucking board got pulled, and it broke again, and I was trying to surf without a leash, and I was like, this is not a good idea. Like, this is, like, the worst idea I ever had, and I just, yeah. like, paddled it. I caught one. I, I wouldn't like, really want to surf with a leash without a leash unless it's like perfect conditions like no no that was a bad that was a bad mistake that was more of like we were out my leash snapped and i was like i don't feel like paddling back in kind of thing um in closing uh who would you like to thank give a shout out to props whoever um mom dad and my family and uh everyone who's helped me you know Mm -hmm. be able to do what i do make surfboards and go surf it's always and fun. you probably know who you are, so... <laughs> there you go, you don't have to answer. I'll ask you one last question. Favorite place to eat in San Clemente? Um, well, we have a problem with this one because there has been good restaurants that shut down. Yeah. And can I just say my favorite restaurant? It's not in San Clemente. Yeah, that's fine. El Patio, and they closed down, and I'm so bummed. And where, they, where they're like it? the oldest Mexican restaurant we've had. Like, it's right in Capo Beach, like, on the other side of the uh-huh. freeway by Doheny. Uh-huh. But they closed, and I don't know, hopefully someone brings them back. I mean, they're selling the property with the oh. everything how it is. But Wait, is that that one that's, like, right on the water? Or? And no, it's, like, this little, it's, like, kind of, you know where the Costco is over there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's over that way. Like Oh, okay. By the paint store and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That but little, like, strip mall area. Yeah, there's, it's, like, this, I don't know, really old school, like, looking diner building and uh it's been there i don't know i'm trying to think what it's, it's old like been there a long long time huh well all right well look thanks for uh letting us sit down with you in the shaping bay this is actually kind of fun being in the shaping bay and it sounds good uh, and we'll catch you out there yeah awesome Have a good one <laughs> thanks so much to barrett for sitting down taking the time out of his day and talking about surfing shaping you know we really have to make an effort to spotlight this younger talent like him because it's an opportunity for us to really grow the culture in the proper way and the things that he's bringing to his surfing and his shaping and his lifestyle in general is something that i like seeing in surfing so a lot of these uh, kids if you will they're kids to me because i'm like 46 and um what they're bringing to surfing is really important because it's not only referencing the past it's reinvigorating it and remixing it and giving it a big future tense and i think that's why people like barrett are very very important so make sure to check out his surfing make sure to check out the boards he's making order a board from him if you can but anyway 
I want to get back into some tracks. Uh, right now, I'm actually going to get into some tracks that we typically don't play, which are basically a bunch of indie rock tracks. So, hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, yeah, be back in a little bit. Peace!
Welcome back to Volume 71 of the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. Hope you guys have been enjoying the tracks. Hope you guys have been enjoying the interviews, all that kind of stuff. But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 71. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch, we have videos, we have track listings, we have a whole bunch of stuff. Action items, there's an election coming up. You should be active. Make sure you register for voting. Also, make sure to check out the full episode description on your iTunes player for track listings and things that we're talking about. So, one of the events that happened recently is that last Friday, the doors of Surfer Magazine closed. And it's a very, very sad thing for a lot of people. And it's a very complicated thing, I think, for a lot of people because there's a lot going into this. So Surfer Magazine was started by John Severson in the 60s as a basically a zine uh, to complement his movie The Surfer. And it's gone through a lot of different iterations. It's always been around quarterly, monthly, that kind of thing. And it's always reflected directly what's happening in the business side of surfing, if you will. And the business side of surfing through the decades has changed in the sense of what that meant. Obviously the 80s and 90s and 2000s turned it into this very toxic masculinity thing and something that like I definitely strive against and really hate. And what's been happening recently in the pages of Surfer Magazine, thanks to Todd Prodanovich, is that they've been writing and creating some content that is a little bit more important talking about uh, Native American tribes, about racism in surfing, about sexism in surfing. Uh, they just had a huge article about the LGBTQ community and in surfing. And it was going in this direction I was really excited about. And I was, you know, obviously the backlash of it was insane to see in terms of the commenting, but what Surfer was bringing to the arena was really great because it was reflecting at least myself and I finally felt like there was a voice out there and people that I'm friends with and this was representing us and it just got shut down. Now a lot of people try to point to that, they try to point that they were supporting Biden-Harris ticket, like all this kind of stuff. It honestly had to do with like money and print and COVID. And when you want to talk about print dying and you have to talk about in general senses and i've talked to a lot of people about this recently the best way i could explain it or at least my theory on it is this is that 15 20 years ago when you bought a magazine and let's take it outside of surfing let's take it to music magazines when you purchased a music magazine like a spin you were buying it once a month really excited about it and what i told you about was new music record reviews show schedules interviews and some lifestyle stories. Now you fast forward 15 to 20, uh, 10 to 15 years later, and if you want to get an interview in a timely fashion, you go to places like my podcast. So we've taken that away from print. And if you want to get uh, record reviews, you go to an online source that prints it right away. So like a pitchfork. And if you want to get quick shots, videos, and that kind of thing, you go to Instagram. And if you want to get story-related content, you go to YouTube, which are bigger videos. And lastly, if you want to get calendar and like show information, you go to like a Facebook. And what's happened is, it's not that print necessarily has died, it's just that the way that content is being delivered to the masses has changed a lot over the last, really like the last 10 years. 
it's every year there's like a new version of it and there's going to be a new version and something's going to wipe out podcasts at some point so the problem isn't even necessarily in surfer is that it's very difficult to turn that into a very profitable business and have a large staff and that kind of thing now i think you can point to a surfer's journal which has a large subscription base and low advertisers and the thing is they run their business very differently because what they do is they produce content and stories that you can't find anywhere else you can't find it on youtube you can't find it any other place they don't reproduce every piece of their content online they reproduce some of it and they're very methodical about it and i think that's something that surfer wasn't doing until recently like for me it's just the the case with surfer is it was a little bit too late like i think if they made the changes that they did like in the last like six months if they did it a year and a half ago or two years ago they would still be in business now it sucks because the history is there the archive is there everything that it stood for is there and people always say, oh, I used to cut pictures up and I used to paint them on, uh, paste them on my wall and I used to do this and that. The key term there is they used to. They hadn't done that in years. Most of these people that are lamenting the death of Surfer don't have a subscription, haven't bought a copy. So what this also tells us is that if you want something to stick around, support it. Whether it be a restaurant, whether it be a magazine, whether it be a surfboard shaper, whether whatever it is, like don't complain after the fact. You have to support these kind of businesses. And it wasn't getting that. Now it has to merit the support, don't get me wrong, you just can't throw money at it. And to be honest, I've only bought probably five issues of Surfer Magazine in the last seven years. And mostly because it's been something I've been interested in. Now there's a key thing, it was something I was interested in to read. A lot of the people who follow mainstream surfing and i think everybody in our culture knows that they basically are very fickle this is why quicksilver is dying this is why hurley's dying this is why they buy pop out boards because they're very fickle they're about buying the cheapest wetsuit they're bu about buying the cheapest board they're about getting their bank for their buck versus i think the surfer journal type of audience is one that like spends more money on wetsuits they'll spend more money on a subscription they have the time to do that so there's a lot of factors going on here but in general it's really sad to see what happened i think my biggest hope is this and i've talked to a lot of people about this my first hope is that i hope that someone comes in with money like a steve balmer and just says you guys know what you're doing here's the money i'll check in with you guys in five years that's the best thing that could happen and todd and those guys could do their job because what todd was doing recently was amazing okay and they could continue to produce their amazing video content and all that the other thing is it has to adapt. Does it go quarterly? I think so. I think it goes quarterly. I think that's the way you do it. I think you start telling better stories. I think the writing in it was getting better and you have to tell stories. Surfer Journal does an amazing job of telling a story, of transporting you somewhere. And also telling more stories about the culture, the art, the music, the environment, that kind of thing. Really the bigger picture, not how to do a cutback, um, you know, I was talking to someone online and I think the phrase I used was less cutbacks, more culture. That's what we need in surfing publications because that's the thing we're losing. And the people who are obsessed with the cutbacks, next week they're going to be obsessed with scooters. I've seen these people. 
They think they're surfers. I don't think they're surfers. They're basically jocks who like they're surfing because they live by the ocean. I mean, I've seen these dads. They're like the fucking worst. Like I avoid them like the plague and I hate when my kids have to have play dates with these dads. It's fucking miserable. Um, but anyway, uh, I just hope that somebody could bring it back because the legacy that is Surfer, of the people that have worked there, of the people that have been in the pages of Surfer, is really important. So if there's anyone out there that's rich, who has some money, who wants to stay out of the way, who wants to be cool, you know, maybe you need something that's kind of like better than owning uh, some crazy beach house, you know, uh, this would be it. So kudos to Todd for doing what he's done and the whole staff there. And I wish you guys a lot of luck and I hope something comes out of this, whether it be a reinvention of Surfer Mag or we get a new version of it. But anyway, I want to get back to the tracks, I want to get back to some other stuff. And now I'm going to take a huge departure music wise. And this comes because I just recently got interviewed for a podcast that's going to be popping up probably next uh, week or so. And we were talking about music on it and how diverse my music taste is. And with what's been affecting me personally, um, I just been listening to a lot of like indie rock and might be a little bit depressing or something. but. I wanted to kind of play some of that just to break it up. So here are those tracks and I'll check in with you guys in a little bit with some short takes. Peace. Playing 
Wishing her up to the eighth floor A rooftop Manhattan One in the morning And you said something That I've never forgotten Oh, oh, oh. 
71 of the Bodega Board Crew podcast. Hope you guys dug those tracks. I know it went down a little bit of a dark path. And uh, yeah, I guess this is my way of uh, kind of getting a little closure and also just exposing you guys to some other stuff that I listen to. You know, it's not always hip hop, it's not always jazz, it's not always that. It's actually primarily a lot of like indie rock uh, just because I grew up in that scene and played in bands and stuff like that. But I hope you guys dug it. You know, try to give it a little surprise there. Uh, but let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our page, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have links to videos, we have merch, we have action items. We have a form to register to vote. Please make sure you are registered to vote. I don't care which way you vote, but at least use the one piece of democracy that you are given freely after the age of 18 and have your voice be heard. Local elections are really important. Please please local elections don't just vote on the sign that you saw spend an hour read up also make sure to check out the episode description on your itunes player for track listings and things that we're talking about this week i want to talk about a couple of short takes that popped up the first one is a video that surfer magazine put out uh, with Devin Howard uh, riding a skip fry v bottom this is a uh, part of that whole series they do with uh, birds surf shed which is so cool that they did this. And I think it's one of the coolest series I've ever seen online surfing because you get to take these uh, vintage boards and see how people who surf modern stylistically or stylistically modern, however you want to put it, surf these old boards and what they say about them. And this one was a trip because it was fun to see Devin who I think is one of my favorite surfers and can surf any board, not be able to surf a board. And just in a way being like, uh, his surf ego was checked in a very positive way and how he had to think a different way. And that's one of the things that sometimes I think a lot of surfers who've been doing this for, you know, 30 somewhat years, 20 somewhat years, they forget that there's a learning curve a lot of times. And it was interesting to watch this video to see how he took the board originally to Trestles and then took it down to Malibu and really changed the way he surfed. Now, granted, a V-bottom, it's they're hellish to ride. I used to ride them and I think I gave myself a lot of problems. I actually took one to Sunset Beach uh, on the North Shore and a lot of people thought I was crazy and I was a little nuts and I ate shit a lot but some of the waves I caught on it were kind of awesome and I was kind of into it. I honestly wish I never sold that V bottom. I wish I still had it because it'd be fun to take out every once in a while. 
But it was really cool to check out this video and it's another example of Surfer's great content. And it was cool to hear Skip Fry talk about the board and uh, you know, it's fun to kind of dig in the crates. Every once in a while you wanna listen to something old or you wanna just look at something nostalgic like a comic book or something and this is another example of it. The second short take is this video put out by our homie Ryan from Lograp uh, called Warning and it has a long description after that because it's really about modern hip-hop, modern longboard surfing and he states how traditionalists would be offended by it and it uh, has Kai Takayama and uh, Vidar Ganda, two of the more I would say modern traditionalists in a sense, like they are definitely rooted in a traditionalist uh, background in surfing, single fins, but the way they're approaching it is in such a modernistic way. Also the boards that Michael Takayama is making, I think are the same thing. They're basically, he took the best of the past and reinvented it and added his own spin to it. And it's still a traditional longboard, but it's definitely very new. It's almost akin to what the uh, Bonzers are in a sense of on a, single fit or mid-length scene, if you will. And so this video is really fun. Jet skis, whoop whoop, uh, a lot of fun, and always good stuff from Ryan from Lograp, and you guys should check it out. We have a link to it uh, in the episode description. And the last short take we have is this video that Nikki Lee actually sent to me called Night Today uh, that Andrew Law put together. Uh, it came out about two months ago, I never saw it, and it features Nikki Lee, Trent Phillips, Ian Schulte, a bunch of other people. And I just love uh, footage and uh, movies coming from the East Coast. You know, obviously I'm from the East Coast and I'm gonna have East Coast pride, even though I, uh, I'm not from Florida and I have my own personal reservations about Florida on a political level, but, but I love seeing uh, surfing from there. And of course, having crew member uh, Trent Phillips in there is icing on the cake uh, because I love seeing any little random beach break footage of him. And it's a good seven minutes. We have a link to it. Check it out. I think it's great. Andrew Law did a great uh, great job in how he edited, how he put it together, the art direction, all that kind of stuff. But this is the end of our episode. Thank you for sitting down with us, taking some time. Thank you for uh, witnessing a little closure, if you will. I know uh, I don't get very personal on these things, and uh, I've had something that's obviously personally affected me, and uh, I'm getting better about it every day, and I'm a week late on my podcast because of it because I just couldn't do it to be honest I just my head wasn't there and uh, so I thank you for being part of that process and hopefully this makes me feel better and if it made you feel miserable I'm sorry about that uh, but I want to end this and wrap it up um, with how it started uh, with some more songs from uh, Keith Huffnagel video parts uh, that a lot of people don't know uh, he had an amazing part in DVS Escape More that's really fun to watch. And we have uh, all his parts linked in this episode description, so please check them out. And uh, yeah, and uh, you know, uh, dedicated to Keith. And uh, we're going to end this uh, episode with our famous uh, closing words that are, there's no need to bust a craze. Go out there, have fun. Life is short. It's precious. Hug the ones you love. Uh, make some new friends and you'll have more people to love. And I'll see you out there. Peace.
just kick it from my head, you know what I'm saying? I can do that. No disrespect, but that's how I am.